Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We don't subscribe to any value system that is outside of the kingdom of God. And all of our subscription to anything that defines life for us has got to be biblical, has got to be God's view of the thing. Now, I want to encourage you as young persons, God has a view on everything. God has a take on everything. There's nothing outside of life that he does not have guidelines for. And uh, particularly in respect to the matter of dating and courtship, um, God's word, if we look deeply and closely enough, has some things to say about the matter. Now obviously there are a few um, presuppositions that I will take for granted this evening. I take for granted that you are God's son. And I speak to males and females. You are the sons of God. Just remind the neighbor next to you that you are God's son. Okay? I'm going to assume that this evening because this talk is primarily addressed to those of you who are young persons that know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've given your hearts to the Lord. You are God's son. You are the elect of God. Um, You're serving Him with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. How many people here love God? Let me see your hands. Come on. You love God? Amen. It's great to see all the hands. Uh, The Scripture says that we must remember our Creator in the days of of our youth. And I recall the days of my youth. Now, you must be thinking the days of your lives. When I say phrases like the days of our youth, we're not that old, okay? We just look this old, well, this young. I just turned 50 uh, two weeks ago, you know? So um, it's, only by, it's only by the grace of God that we look as young as we are. In fact, one of the keys for youthfulness is God's Word. Because Proverbs says that my son... Um, incline your ears to my words. Let them not depart um, from your heart. Keep them in the midst of your heart. And the text says, for they are life to those who find them and health to all of their flesh. The Word of God can keep you young and give you a long life. It is my clear objective to live to at least 120 years old. So I'm going to be in the planet for the next 70 years. Okay, if you want to be around and, and, and we can chat, please plan for the next 70 years. Amen. Uh, with long life, God said, I will satisfy you. I'm going, to take that, I'm going to take that promise to heart. Amen. So I said that to say this, that in my youth, in inverted commas, because I still regard myself as, in terms of my long-term plans, that I'm still in the youth phase of where I'm going to. But in my youth, by, 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 by most common standards, we really prioritized serving God sincerely. 
serving God seriously. Serving God to the best that we, know, we knew how. Serving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And particularly in respect to the matter of relationships. I personally, even in my young days, took the issue quite seriously. Was not prepared to date any girl which I was not convinced I had a future with for the long term. Right? There was a culture back in the day of dating where everybody would go out with this one and that one. And um, relationships in, in reference to dating were what was treated very, very casually, very, very lightheartedly. Now tonight, we want to dispel of that tradition. Right? We want to dispel the notion or the mindset of approaching the whole issue of relationships, potential relationships, the opposite sex, with any kind of casual attitude. Okay? I want to encourage you all, because some of you are extremely young, and some of the things I am going to say to you this evening are not suggestions. This is not an ordinary meeting. This is God's house. This is God's family. And we have standards in the kingdom. Right? And the Word of God has certain uh, principles for your benefit. And everything I'm going to say to you tonight is for your good. It's designed to, to help you. It's designed to... People ask me, uh, are you well? I say, no, I'm Barnwell. <laughs> My surname is Barnwell. <laughs> and they say, you, why you look... Why do you always seem to be happy? I, I usually say two reasons. The Lord and a good wife. The Lord and a good wife. Okay? And um, I want to encourage you. Um, position your mind right now and think of your long-term future with a person of your dreams, your life partner. And I want you to already posture yourself and position yourself. And you decide right now that I am going to have a good future. I am going to have a good partner. Uh, that partner is going to be a significant so-and-so. And together we're going to have a contentment that is God-given. No matter what the frame of reference that you have presently, I want to encourage you, if your frame of reference is failed relationships, maybe you come from a context where um, there's failed marriages. Maybe you come from a home where there's divorce. Maybe you come from a context or family or friends where people are together but not happy. I want to encourage you, don't draw your frame of reference from your immediate experience. God has a plan for you and God has a will for you and God's will for you is that you be happy in a relationship with somebody special and you live your life in absolute contentment and for me, one of the greatest ideals for the pursuit of any relationship, like I said, presupposing that if we are sons of God and we love God, the issue is we live our lives for His purpose. Everyone say purpose. God has a purpose for everybody. God has a will for everybody. So for the Son of God, excuse me, to live your life, not in a meaningless fashion, but to live your life with the idea of, I'm going to live life to the fullest, and in doing so, 
I am going to fulfill some aspect of divine purpose attendant with my life, such that when I come to the end of my life, it could be said of me, he or she played a significant role in pushing some aspect of God's purpose in the earth. Now, to live like that means you've got to live not unto yourself, but you're living for the purposes of, of God vested in you. Now, the strange thing, if that is a priority with you, then the choice of a life partner becomes all the more serious because if you choose the wrong partner, it can seriously impact purpose. However, if you choose the right partner, the right partner can very quickly facilitate, accentuate, and propel purpose. The one will fuel purpose if it's the right partner chosen, but the wrong partner can hinder purpose, can put purpose or push it right back, or can render your effectiveness in what God has called you to do and be in the earth null and void. Okay? Everyone say purpose. Come on, say it again, purpose. So the quality of our relationships, the character of our, of our relationships must be thoroughly representational of Christ. I'm going to perhaps use that word a lot tonight. Everyone say representational. In other words, the one thing represents another. If something represents something else, the thing takes on greater weight and value because of what it represents. It doesn't live unto itself. It lives unto its representation. Now, for example, God is invisible, right? Can't be seen. He is spirit. We are visible. We are material. He's non-material. He lives in an unseen realm in eternity. Okay? We live in a seen, known, material world where we can see, touch, taste, and feel. But he who is invisible, God, is represented in the visible. The invisible is represented in the, in the visible. He who is unseen is represented in us who is seen. So he chose to remain in invisibility, but to show himself, he made people, humankind, as his sons. And the preeminent the, the main job, the main task, the main responsibility of every son of God is to fully represent God his Father who is unseen but can be seen through him. So you become the showcase of everything God is. Not so? So then, if you are the son of God, listen carefully, both in nature and character, everyone say nature and character, that's on the one end, both in nature and character, and then on the other end, in purpose. Right? So, I must be like him, nature and character, and then purpose, I must do what he has called me to do and execute some kind of assignment, mandate, or mission in the earth. Okay? So, nature and character relates to identity. Purpose relates to destiny. How many of you know, everyone say this with me. Say identity. Say destiny. The two are intricately linked. Can't divorce the two. Right? Your destiny 
is dependent upon your identity. Okay? If you know who you are, identity, you can do destiny, function, what God has called you to, what God has called you to do. He who has a dented identity or an identity that is inaccurate in terms of what God has called you to be will never ever function to the true level, optimum level of potential in what God has called you to, to do. Okay? Now, again, I want to stress, when God puts man together with women, the first man and woman was Adam and and Eve, he who is invisible would look at them in a known visible realm, and he wants to see two things, identity and destiny. Want to see nature and character, what you are, and what I have called you to do in the in the earth. And he put them together as a couple, as it were. And together, they must completely harness these two areas. Who we are and what he has called us to do. Who we are and what he has called us to do. Now obviously, if you seek a partner, desire a partner. By the way, who would, who would like to get married one day? Just to make sure we're talking to the right group of people. Okay, anybody? You all would, okay? We all desire, listen carefully young people, this aspect of God's, of our lives to go and to flow unhindered without hiccup, without major hassles. And we want that facet of our lives to be intact. I personally, and I'm sure many of the other pastors can, can corroborate this, I personally have seen more hurt caused in people's lives through wrong choices in a life partner than in any other issue or realm. So this thing is extremely important. Let me just say this. If you get this one right, you obviate a whole lot of problems. Right? Get this one right, you create a very solid platform to explore much else in terms of what God has called you to be and do in the earth. If you get this wrong, however, then you are short-circuited in terms of your effectiveness in the earth and in terms of your role and function um, in life. So I want to encourage you that the issue of, of dating and courtship is, is very, very, very important. Now, let me be just bland and frank because we don't have much time. If you are a son of God, biblically, you are not encouraged to date or court anybody else that is not a son of God. That's as basic as as simple is there where I want to start. Okay? Don't even think. Listen carefully. Don't even factor it into your mind that I can date or, or court someone eventually that does not have my set of priorities in reference to God. If they don't love God, they will never be able to love you. Right? If they don't have God as their singular, most prioritized objective 
Their greatest love must be God. Otherwise, don't pursue them at all because you will be courting problems. Okay? You will be courting problems. Right? If they don't love God at all, they will never love you. Now, I want to just look at a few scriptures. And please bear with me because I'm a teacher at heart in terms of the words. I want to look at the scriptures and let the scriptures speak for themselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 says the following. I'm reading from the NASB if you have the version. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership? Everyone say partnership. For what partnership has... Do you have the NASB? You don't? Okay. Let me, for the sake of reading together with you, look at this, look at this version. Or the New King James. We'll be fine. Leave the NIV, it's fine. Do not be yoked together. Yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Next verse. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols, for we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, it is very, very clear here um, that God says, what, how can you be yoked together with an unbeliever, someone that does not love God, serve God, that, that holds his will and ways and purpose as their priority? How can you have any degree of intimacy, partnership, um, yoking? Notice the terms used here in the NASB. It says, what partnership, what fellowship, what harmony, what agreement can there? Four things. What partnership, what fellowship, what harmony, what agreement can there be between sons of God, and those who are not sons of God. Now, I want to encourage you, you don't want to date a project. You don't want to date someone that you need to work on to get ready to marry one day. You don't want to take on an assignment that God never called you to. You don't want to take on someone who does not love God, hates the church, hates God's word, hates the people, hates the church, and you th- you thinking maybe this is a potential life partner. Young people, by the Holy Ghost, I tell you that wrong thinking, completely wrong thinking, factor that out of your mind. Expunge it immediately. Don't, don't contemplate it. Don't entertain it. Don't think I'm strong enough. I can change the other. Right? There are certain uh, 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 boundaries you draw and you don't venture beyond. Right? It is not even a consideration. It should not be even a consideration with you that I will consider the potential of this person as my life partner even though they hate God, they don't love God, don't love the church, don't love God's ways, God's purposes, Um, God's principles are alien to them, and you are here 
uh, being motivated by your feelings, right? which are, is a totally unreliable yardstick or basis upon which to decide or to determine relationships. Okay? Now, I'll get to that in a moment. You cannot function by sentiment when you choose a life partner. You cannot function by feeling. You have to function by principle. A principle decision will save you from the hassles of a sentimental decision. If a decision is based upon principle, then I want to encourage you, you're starting to root your life upon principles that are unaltering, that are safe, that are sound, that will ensure success and the blessing of God upon your, upon your future. Okay? So don't come to me and say, um, but I feel this way about the person. And that person, for example, hates God, hates God's word. Your feelings then must be submitted to the principle of God's word for you as a son of God, which says, what partnership can you have with that person? What fellowship can you have with that person? What agreement can you have with that person? There can be no future with that person. If they don't love God, they will never be able to love you in a way that God has determined for them to love you. So I want to encourage you, just bump your neighbor and say, from now on, it's principled decisions. It's principled decisions. Right? There are many times I feel a certain way about certain issues, but my principles safeguard me from pursuing the feeling that might get me into trouble, but the principle tells me don't go there. Again, I want to stress your feelings. I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible. Your feelings are totally unreliable in reference to making decisions that could recruit the blessing of the Lord upon your life. Amen? Everyone still okay? Hallelujah? Amen? A principle or principled decisions. Now, let me just go through a few things. First, Thessalonians chapter 5 and round about verse 22 and 23 indicates to us that we are spirit, soul, and, and body. Not soul? Everyone say spirit. spirit. Say soul. soul. Say body. Now, you are a tripartite being. There are three parts to you. You are spirit, you are soul, and you are body. Correctly stated. You are spirit, you are soul, and you are, and you are body. Now, obviously, when it comes to choosing a partner, most young persons or even young adults would focus on bodily issues or physical issues. The physicality of the person is your top priority when making a decision as to whether or not to date or court uh, so-and-so. Now, in the order of priorities, your spirit man must rule your soul, right? So that in your body, you can please God. Headquarters. Everyone say headquarters. The main, the headquarters is my spirit, right? Your spirit is invisible. You cannot see it, but it's the essence of everything that you are. 
God is spirit, not so. You know, God is he's, he's non-material, but His spirit is full of grace. It's substantive, even though you cannot see it. And your spirit is made up of the same component that God as spirit is made up of. Okay? So that you are spirit. Now, some of you are more ghostly than you think. <laughs> I, want to, I want to encourage you because whenever you pursue any matter in reference to making any decision that's life-altering ultimately, you've got to ensure that you make the decision from the mind of your spirit and not the mind of your soul. Both your spirit and your soul have a mind, by the way. Your soul is your intellect, the, the cognitive side of you, by, that we, you employ the soul in your body to live in the earth. Your spirit comes from God who is eternal, invisible, and God lives this, in, in this internal, invisible realm where spirit is used to. But because there's an earth, a seen material realm, God made Adam out of the dirt of the earth, crafted a body and gave him cognition so that in his body he could engage the earth environment. But in doing so, God expected him while doing that, he will do that, but using the mind of his spirit to direct his intellect so that he can obey God in his body. So it's, say this with me, it's body, soul, spirit. I must say it again, body, soul, spirit. Now, when, most times when we consider the matter of dating and relating and choosing a life partner, we are so driven by the fallenness of our souls in selecting a life partner and sometimes make the wrong decisions in the process. I want to train you, and some of you are very young, and some of this you might, what is he talking about? <laughs> I want to encourage you by the Spirit of God I say to you, your spirit understands exactly what I'm saying. As young as you are, don't be governed by your own mind and don't let your mind be unled, uninformed by the mind of the spirit through the Holy Ghost in you. Now, let me give my example. I had numerous offers, offers growing up. You know what I'm saying, right? One girl came to me and said, ran off at a dream last night. And you were riding on a white horse. And you were riding towards me. <laughs> this girl pursued me relentlessly in my youth. There was another one whom I had to get my eldership involved with. Wherever I went, she was there. I joined the choir. She joined the choir next week. I taught Sunday school. Guess who's teaching Sunday school? She's there. She was at my high school. I was a prefect, head prefect. And I had to go around, you know, in the breaks, getting all the prefects to sign on their duty list. Guess who's hot on my heels? This girl is following me like a stalker. I always envision on my married day, marriage day, she's going to be the one who stands up and say, you know, when the minister says, is there anybody that objects? I always have this fear, oh, I hope she doesn't come to my wedding. That she'll be in the back somewhere saying, I object. <laughs> you know? And, and there, were, there were numerous others. 
I often relate the story of uh, I was in second year university and there was this beautiful Indian looking girl and um, well Indian good looking girl <laughs> I say that wrong and uh, she would sit I, will, I got early to, to lectures because of the transport that I use I'd be the first one in the lecture theater geography I remember and I would sit two rows from the front because I always love to sit in the front massive class and she would usually be the second one to arrive. She sat towards the back somewhere. A uh, few weeks would pass, and I noticed she, she kept coming closer and closer. <laughs> and eventually one day she came and she sat next to me. She introduced herself, and she said, Oh, Randolph, haven't you noticed I've left my seat to come sit next to you? So I said, Well, no problem. It's a big lecture theater. You can sit wherever you want, you know. I was so like, Dwas. <laughs> Naive, I think, so unaccustomed to the ways of the world. I thought it innocent. Well, you sit anywhere you want to. So she said to me, so what are we going to do about it? So I said, well, nothing really. The lecture will start in about 15 minutes. The guy's going to be walking. It's fine. You know? <laughs> and I, I think when I recall, when I reflect, I think my naivety saved me sometimes. Sometimes your innocence is your salvation. Right? Some of you are lamenting the fact that your parents were so protective, so guarded over you. I'm telling you that was the protection of the Lord over your life. I don't know, in so many instances, the, the, my, the upbringing of my parents and the raising of elders in the church that I was a part of kept me, preserved me, kept me pure, kept me holy, kept me from making so many so many mistakes, okay? Um, and so, listen carefully. There were numerous opportunities, okay? Numerous opportunities. But I had no witness in my spirit. No witness in my spirit. Everyone say the witness of the spirit, right? Now, the witness of your spirit is not just there for to witness with your spirit that you are a son of God. The witness of the spirit will witness God's will to you in any respect. Is this of God or is this not of God? So I want to encourage you, listen carefully. You meet him or her, and the overtures and the suggestions come. I want to encourage you, employ the mind of your spirit, which should be submitted to the Holy Spirit, to lead you and to guide you. Don't just think and leave it up to your own initiative, your own cognition, your own intellect. Is this the one or not? Allow the Holy Ghost to guide you. And I want to say this to you young persons, people, the Holy Spirit is more ready to lead you in these matters than you think. He'll be very, very faithful to lead you. He'll be very, very faithful to guide you. Right? When I met my wife, which for me, fortunately was my first girlfriend and so we married but I'll, I'll never forget it was around the corner here actually in Skochheim, Nochal <laughs> huh? the campsite I was in oh grade 9 <laughs> and um, I went to a Sunday school teachers training camp and numerous churches converged there to train Sunday school teachers. 
over the weekend. And um, the moment I saw her, I knew. Now you say, but you were in grade nine. Uh, how did you know? I can't tell you. All that I'm saying to you and suggesting to you is that the witness of the Spirit is a very, very real thing. You will know internally that you know that you know this is the one. Okay? Everyone say it with me, the witness of the Spirit. Some of you might not fully understand this dynamic, but wait until it starts to be active in your life, and you will know beyond a shadow of doubt, this is my life partner. Right? We did not court um, until we were both in the middle of our second year at university. And I just submitted the matter to prayer. Right? And I prayed a lot about that issue because I did not want to make a mistake. I did, did not want to make a mistake like I saw many other young persons uh, making the mistake. And God has been very, very faithful. Um, I, do, you want to, do, you want, do you want to hear the story? I'm getting away from theology now into stories. <laughs> but maybe this is relevant to you. Maybe you can relate to this. We had developed a friendship. We were in two separate churches in Wentworth. And I, I rarely saw her. But the churches had um, combined meetings once a month, all the churches in Wentworth. I never missed that meeting. <laughs> never. That was my problem. I had to be there. Right? I was involved with the worship. I played guitar those years. And so, uh, here's a little story. We were leading worship, and she walked in. And I played all the wrong chords. And the guys in the band are looking, what barrel up to? Hey, what's happening? But I, I was so fixated, so much in love. And let me just say this to you. Don't give up on a true love story for your life. Right? Don't give up. God wants you to have it. Okay? God wants you to experience it in your own unique way. Okay? And we would chat every now and then if I had the opportunity uh, those years, I used to really lament the fact that I was in a, in a band, because, you know, band members, after a meeting, you have to stay behind and pack up, and there was very little time to chat to people, etc. But I found a way. Where there's a will, <laughs> I found a way, and we developed this friendship. And long story short, um, in the middle of our second year at university, I mustered up the courage to go and ask her out. This first happened as I completed in my matric year, my final geography paper. I said, after this exam, I'm going down to Ogle Road where she stayed, knock on the door and say, wouldn't you like to be my girlfriend? <laughs> we concluded the geography paper. I marched down to Ogle Road and I was about to knock on the door and I got cold feet. And I turned back and I walked home. And, the, and then plus minus a year and a half to two years later, I plucked up the... After praying and fasting, God is this here. Well, Lord, lead me. Lord, Lord, guide me. Lord, let nobody else take her while I wait. <laughs> you know, preserve her, keep her for me. You know, that kind of thing, you know. My youth leader at the stage called me, once, called me aside at, at one meeting because he knew my, my love for her. And he said, you better do this now. Right? He knew my heart. He knew how serious I was. Okay? And uh, I will never forget, I went to a, a flat where they lived. And I said to her, Renee, well, we've known each other for 
such and such a time, I would like to court you. I did not use the word date. Right? I would like to court you because often the word courting is used with a very clear intent that this will lead to marriage. So I said to her, I would like to court you with a view to marrying you one day. Now, she's hearing this courtship to marriage. Um, and she said, well, I'll have to pray about it. I said, no problem, take your time. I should not have said, take your time. Because she took six months to pray. And so, I would phone, we would talk often on the phone, I would talk back and forth and say, what's your decision? And she said, I haven't come to it yet. Okay, six months, she phoned and said, um, I'll give you my decision tomorrow, come by in the afternoon. I was at lectures, I couldn't concentrate, the whole morning, mind is on, what's going to happen in the afternoon? I went to one lecture, I phoned from the university, I said, listen, I can't wait, I'm coming now. Killing a bus, I'm bunking all the rest of the lectures, I'm coming now. And to make matters worse, it was an overcast day, thundering, lightning, raining, dark clouds. To me, all the signs were negative. Right? <laughs> so I said, Lord, please, God, help me. <laughs> you know? And so I went to a flat, and I recall it very vividly. She had a red dress on. I'll never forget. Right? Sat on the couch, the opposite me. So I said, well, what's your answer? So she said, well, I prayed long and hard about it, so I would like to court you with a view to marriage too. Right? Well, I was relatively fit those days. I ran in the rain with a heavy bag of books from Ogle Road up Austerville Drive, if you know where to it, right down Austerville Drive to Mirbank. Right? Non-stop. I don't know where I got the power from. <laughs> I was like on top of the world. The girl said, the girl said yes. But what I want to encourage you, it was submitted to the leading of the Lord. It wasn't done casually. It wasn't done um, lightheartedly. What attracted me to her, uh, let's be real, okay? Any real people here? Yeah? Just, just, point, just pinch your neighbor and say, you're still flesh and blood. Right? Now, if you, if you want to interrogate me, her beauty attracted me to her. The first time I saw her, and she had this auburn hair, natural color, no, no, no hair coloring, all natural. Right? I said, wow, check this one out. Right? And we got talking, and once we got talking, I discovered this is a substantive lady. This is rich in spirit. This is a, a woman of worth, a woman of stature. And her internal posture far outweighed what was attractive to me by then externally, right? So let's be honest. Physicality does, is your first impression most often, right? Come on, just tell you number, be real, right? Be real. So obviously you'll see something physical, you are attracted. Let me just say this to you. Don't go to the extreme and say, well, I went to this meeting, now I'm going to prioritize spiritual things over physical things. If you marry someone for their spiritual content and you're not physically attracted to them, your marriage will be in problems. Right? Converse also, if you simply marry someone for physical attractiveness, 
with no uh, um, factoring their spiritual or emotional content, your marriage potentially then could also be in problems. Let me just say this. It's a blending of all three. It's a blending of spirit, the spirit content of the person, the soul, the emotional content, the cognitive capacity, the intellectual capacity, and their physicality. Right? And let me just say this to you. You might not get all three in the blend that you want. But the priority is a spiritual position. The priority is a spiritual position. I just put some questions when you consider their spirituality. Do they love God? Do they love His Word? Do they love His church? Do they love God's ways? Do they love God's will? Are they a submitted person in their fellowship or the place where they go to church? Do they submit to their leadership? Do they submit to their pastor, their spiritual father, their eldership? Are they a submitted person? Because you don't want to marry an unsubmitted man. You don't want to marry an unsubmitted woman. Okay? Um, do they tithe? Are they givers? Uh, are they generous? Right? I feel sorry for the guy that comes home for my daughter. I'm already praying for him now. She's only 12 years old. Ray, my lad, Lamaki, Ray, Rachel. She's 12 years old. Amongst the many questions, I will interrogate the brother. And there will be an interrogation. If he passes the test of my fire, he's worthy of my daughter. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But I, I really will be serious. One of the questions I want to ask him is, can I see your bank account? Huh? <laughs> I'm not interested in how much you earn. I want to see in, do you honor God financially? How much you earn is not an issue, but in terms of what you earn, have you learned to honor God with your tithes, your offerings, your first fruits? Because if you don't honor God, how then will you take care of my daughter in marriage? You want to marry my daughter and you've not learned to honor God financially. Okay? Now, I want to encourage you ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, you will not get all your boxes ticked. Right? Because you are young and you need to leave some space for growth and some space for development. But there are certain critical issues that are obviously uh, non-negotiable. So in terms of their spirit capacity, do they love God? Are they committed to a local church? Are they submitted there? Are they serving there? Are they faithful there? Are they honoring God there? For me, those will be very, very critical things to factor into your the fabric of your, of your choice. Consider the doctrine too. It's not just because they're in God, they're in the Lord, will you simply take that as a blanket requirement? Yes, therefore they are a possibility. They're definitely a possibility. But to a significant degree, ensure that you're at least walking this, uh, on the same page doctrinally, okay? She believes there is a rapture. You don't believe there is a rapture. In your marriage, one of you will be raptured. <laughs> right? It could be any, 
Now listen, there are certain doctrinal differences that may be inconsequential to our, our relationship with God, our eternal destiny, etc. But I want to encourage you, as far as the most essential things are concerned, make sure you believe the same things. Amen? Now just bump your neighbor and say, make sure you believe the same things. Now you might, I've counseled somebody, I've counseled a couple who is now divorced, which the bedrock of the divorce stemmed from the inability to believe the same doctrine. It's that serious. It could, it could seriously impact your relationship and your sense of agreement. Okay? Make sure that you are on the same page. Okay? In terms of your soul, I'm going to get to a case study in a moment, but I just need to say the, the following things. So, in terms of the soul component, consider the emotional content of the person. Consider also the emotional maturity of the person. For example, you don't want to consider someone that is given to serious and severe mood swings. Right? Moody. You don't want your partner to have a middle name called Moody. Right? Moody. You can't place them. Some days they're up and some days they're down. They haven't mastered the art of emotional stability, emotional um, maturity, and emotional content. So I want to encourage you, these things are very critical to consider. Then, in terms of the soul also, consider mental capacity. Because you're going to have to converse with this person. And love is not all good looks. It's made up of communication also. Okay? Make sure at least you can communicate reasonably on the same frequency, intellectually. Okay? Uh, it might not always be possible, and they say love covers a multitude of deficiencies. It really does. It can overlook a lot. The bedrock of any relationship is love. Everyone say love. Love. And for any potential partner that you consider, they must have an understanding of what true love is. Not based upon their own personal view of love, but a biblical perspective of what true love is. That is not rooted primarily in feeling, but a love that is principled based upon 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For example, what love is, what love is, what love is not, because that is the foundation, that is the bedrock of, of, your, of your relationship. Okay? Your soul predominantly is like the spirit, is, is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Emotions, make sure they're not, they're not uh, moody, okay? Not, not given to mood swings. The mind, consider decision-making processes. Consider mental capacity. Will I be able to have a decent conversation with this person for the next 70 years? It's that long, guys. In terms of the will, it's decision-making. Everyone say decision-making. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. With the mind, you think. With the will, you make decisions. And with the emotions, you feel the emotional part of you. Okay? So you want to marry someone that's compatible with you, spirit, soul, and, and body. Spirit content, all the things I suggested. In terms of soul, the emotional content, the mental content... And the will. Everyone say the will. The will is decision-making, right? Consider things like, are they impulsive? 
Do they make rash decisions? Are decisions informed? Are decisions well-balanced? Are they controlling person? Right? Do they use their will to dominate others? Okay? You don't want to be in a controlling um, vice-grip relationship where you cannot employ your will to make decisions and your will becomes pulverized at the beckoning of somebody else that seeks to override your decision-making processes. Okay? I've seen that too often in relationships. Okay? You don't want a control freak as your partner. Okay? Then physical issues are, are obviously important. Things like sexual attractiveness. Right? Um, and you mustn't feel awkward about this. In church, we make this such a taboo subject. But sexual attractiveness is a God-given thing. And you don't need to feel awkward about it. You just need to manage it correctly in the fear of God. That's all. Right? It's given to you by God. Just manage it correctly in the fear of the Lord. It's part of the chemistry between two partners. Don't come to me and say, Randolph, this person ticked all the spirit boxes, ticked all the soul boxes, mind, will, emotions, hundreds. Spirit, wow, love God, love the church, at every prayer meeting, submitted to eldership, hundreds. But physically, I feel nothing towards the person. Don't consider them. You've got to have that. Right? It's not a bad thing. God created sex. And let me just say this, sex is an abomination before marriage. Sex in marriage is a blessed experience. Okay? So we don't encourage any kind of intimacy, intimacy in courting couples of a sexual nature that could tempt you to sin against God prematurely before you get married. You must make up your mind today, young person, and say, I will keep myself sexually pure until my wedding day, when I commit myself covenantly to my partner. And do you know why this is so important? The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, watch, he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one with her. The sexual act was designed by God to be functional between married persons as expression of their love for each other. And it becomes the very means by which their oneness is forged. Their souls become shared, literally. Okay? You heard of the concept of soul ties? Right? People with multiple sexual partners, before they get married, what you essentially do is, you're sharing a bit of yourself with everybody, with everybody, with everybody, with everybody. And then you find the one, and you want to offer the one the most fractured part of you. Because you've already shared yourself with multiple others. Right? And I want to encourage you, this is a very encouraging word for all of you. Let me just say this, even if you have failed in this respect, let's say you've had sex before marriage. This is not to condemn you. I believe tonight God is able to forgive you. I believe tonight God is even able to restore your soul. God will make you whole again. 
so that when you offer, when, when God gives you the person of your dreams, you can offer that person a whole soul. God can restore you. Just bump your neighbor and say, God can restore you. I want to encourage you, God can restore you. Some of you might have failed in this area. I want to stress again. But tonight, there is mercy and grace. The fact that you are here tonight, even though you failed in relationships, and maybe you've engaged in premarital sex um, uh, ill-advisedly, being governed by your hormones, your passions, uh, just a desire to please the flesh. Maybe that was you in the past. But you're here tonight and you're listening to the word of the Lord. And the Lord says to you, I will have mercy on you if you open your heart tonight. I will graciously forgive you. And my grace to you will be so abundant tonight that I will restore fully a broken soul and make you whole again. God's mercy is great. God's mercy is seriously, seriously great. Also in terms of physical issues, consider basic things like cleanliness. You don't want to marry Dirty Harry, right? <laughs> You'll be you think this is elementary. You'll be surprised. Right? Make sure the guy cleans himself or the girl cleans herself. Amen? Make sure that they say cleanliness is next to? Next to godliness. Okay? Some things I consider were things like physical fitness, because I love to exercise. If I'm going to reach 120, she must come with me there. <laughs> so it's in my best interest that we go to gym together now. For example, my wife and I train together. Right? Um, watch eating habits. I always say this, it's unfair for one partner to be concerned about the well-being of their body, and the other not. Because later in life, the fit one will have to take care of the sick one. Right? And, 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 she, and let's say, let's say the, the, the wife or the husband is the sick one, and the wife looked after herself, the fit one, what she ate, exercised, died, she will say, or he will say to her, now prove your love to me, which we did say in sickness and in health. So now I'm sick, so prove your love. But I will reverse that and say, why don't you prove your long-term love by taking care of your body so that in your old age you can offer your aged wife or husband the best part of you and not give them an unnecessary burden to carry. And everybody said? Amen. <laughs> no big amens there. <laughs> Amen. Say represent. Listen, I want... Wherever you choose to marry or date or court with an intention to marry one day, your union must be thoroughly representative of everything God is. Amen? So even if you decide to court somebody, spend some time working out together, training together, keeping yourself physically fit. Spend spiritually some time studying the Word of God together. Regular Bible studies as a courting couple is a very, very, very powerful thing um, to do. Before you court, if you are dating, and dating, the term is obviously used in respect to your desire to get to know the person. So you have to create context to know the person a bit more. 
before you decide on the courtship route with a view to marry. So let's have coffee, let's go out to lunch, let's go out to dinner with a view to, to date. I will always advise, if that is your, your, your persuasion, that it must always be in a public place. Everyone say public place. Right? It's not nothing wrong with that, but certain a few guidelines are necessary. It must be in a public place all the time. Right? It must never ever, not never, it, as far as is possible, never be private, never behind closed doors, right? Never allow a boy into your room, never allow a girl into your room, and the two of you are alone there, no matter how honest or sincere your intentions are. It simply creates the wrong image. It projects something else. And sometimes you can be honest and integrous in your heart, but the picture you represent speaks something else. So you've got to guard the true, the intent of the heart, and the picture that you are presenting to the rest of the, to the, rest of the world. Okay? A, a, a date, a dinner date is fine. Go to a public place. Get to know each other. You're not sure yet. You simply, and just be good friends. Even though you might be feeling something more, just be good friends. You know what the Bible advises young men to how they must position, position themselves in reference to members of the opposite sex? They are to consider younger females as their sister, Scripture says, and they are to consider older females as a mother. Okay? I would suggest group dating, if you can help it. Five or six of you go out together. And in that context, you can watch the partner that you are interested in and observe their mannerisms, get to know details about them that will either endorse or cancel your interest in them. <laughs> okay? Renee loves motorbikes, my wife. And she didn't present that picture to me. When I first started getting to know her, I was like amazed. Motorbikes. My girl on a motorbike. No way. And this image of motorcyclists and motorbikes and hell's angels and all for my mind. You? Right? But I got to know her sense of adventure. It was a sense of adventure that clarified to me a misperception that I had about her in our early days. Even up to today, there's Luke, my son there. Don't stand up. <laughs> I'll receive all the applications. <laughs> I'll get there. So, my wife's very adventurous, ready to, to do the most outrageous things. Okay? So I want to encourage you, group dating is a wonderful context in which to find out more um, about the person. And I want to encourage you, don't date or court until you are completely ready. Until you are completely ready. And I will encourage you to focus on building yourself up first spiritually. Make sure that you are spiritually strong. Ensure that you are emotionally whole and physically well to an acceptable degree. Okay? Um, when we were young people, our youth leader told us, 18 years old, don't even consider anything below that. Right? I still subscribe to that. Um, I think anything less than that, you're far too immature. Please, that's not in the Bible. This is Randolph's view. 
So don't quote me and say, thus saith the Lord. The Lord didn't say it. Randolph said it. You can take it off. Leave it. It's simply advice that I think will, will help. Will, will, will help you make honest and informed decisions going forward. Amen? Um, men, establish yourself in a job. God put work first before He put women in the garden. Before God gave Adam Eve, God gave Adam a job. Right? So that when Eve came along, she found him working. Right? Now, if you're sitting next to a female, just bump them and say, find him working. <laughs> Men, your preeminent responsibility would be to eventually take care of this girl one day as the breadwinner. So your focus right now must not so much be the pursuit of a girl, but the establishment of myself very solidly, very firmly in an income-generating job by which will earn me sufficient to take care of her. Amen? And these are very basic things that you must, you must be aware of. Okay. One consideration that I factored into this is consider the person's family. And maybe study their family history too. Because when you court someone and eventually marry them, you're not just marrying the person. You're embracing a whole tribe. And maybe this tribe got some personalities in there that, hey, you're going to need the grace of God to embrace. Okay. Right? I'm not saying let that be a primary thing. But let me just say this to you. I've seen clear cases where the, the union between this man and woman was authentically God, was God's will, it was of the Lord, and this person had a family history with a whole lot of baggage and how the married person marrying into this was instrumentally and powerfully used by God to bring order and rectitude and the will of God to that context. So not, there are no right and wrong answers in these things. All I'm saying is factor these things into your into your, into your mind. Let me just say this. As many as are led by the Spirit of the Lord, they are the sons of God. I can tell you all of these guidelines, but let me just say this to you. Your primary guiding factor is the Holy Ghost. He will lead you and he will, he will guide you. Learn his voice, get close to him, let him be your friend, let him be your counselor. He's actually called the counselor and he's, one of his functions is to guide you into making the right decisions. I want to close because of time. See, time is fast racing away and I'm only on page two of my notes of 12. Okay. I want to leave this case study with you. I felt very strongly to address this. It's Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. In the scripture, we read the God of Abraham, Isaac, and... Everyone say Abraham. Isaac, Jacob. So, these are fathers and sons throughout generations. The thing is, the purposes of God were, was vested in Abram. He had a son, Isaac, and those purposes and mandates were transferred to him. He had a son called Jacob, and so there was generational transfer from one to the 
to the other. Jacob would have 12 sons, not so. Each son would form a tribe and become a literal whole tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel, then making up the, the nation from the one tribe, Judah, Jesus would be born of a man, Joseph, married to a lady called Mary. Jesus would be the Savior of the world. You would die on the cross and pay for the sins of mankind. And the church would be born in and through that economy. Now, I've given you sort of a panoramic view of the whole thing. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons, tribe of Israel, from Judah, the Messiah, Jesus, would be born, pay for the sins of the whole world. The world is redeemed. Sons of God are brought into the kingdom. The church is born. And the purposes of the Lord continue. Can you see the picture? Right? Everyone see the picture? Right? Now, look at what the scripture says. Um, verse 46. Abraham married Sarah and produced Isaac. Isaac married, who was Isaac's wife? Come on, you know your Bibles? Rebecca, not so? Rebecca. Now, they had two boys called, one is called Esau and one is called Jacob. They haven't chosen their wives yet. Jacob and Esau have not chosen their wives yet. So Rebecca comes to her husband, Isaac. And, and says this to Isaac. The Rebecca said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living because these Hittite women, if Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from the Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. This is the cry of a mother. Listen carefully. The, 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 in ASB she says, I am weary of my life. I like this version here because correctly translates the image and the emotion that she as a mother is feeling about her son, watch, potentially choosing the wrong woman. She says to her husband, hey, our boys here, especially this one Jacob, the chosen one, the one that's going to continue the line, produce the whole nation, the Messiah. There's so much at stake with one choice. And Rebecca picks this up and she says, I am disgusted. You know what the word is in the, in the Hebrew? The word is kus. Translated in this version as disgusted. Kus literally means this. Loathed. Sick. Revulsed to the point of vomiting. When she says I'm disgusted, she says I'm feeling so nauseous right now. I'm revulsed in my spirit to the point of of vomiting if Jacob, our son, chooses a bride from the Hittite woman. Right? He mustn't choose a bride from the Hittite woman lest divine purpose be aborted. So then, in Genesis 28 and verse 1, what does the father do? Jacob calls the boys. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him. Everyone say commanded him. He says, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Do not marry the wrong girl. Jacob, a lot is hanging on you. If you choose the wrong woman, there's much of divine purpose 
that potentially could be aborted through your wrong choice. Okay? Now the word commanded, everyone say commanded, is the Hebrew word sawah, and sawah literally means this, to set down a rule or principle. Set down a rule or principle. To order or to direct. So, just watch. Jacob calls Isaac. Two things. I bless you and I command you. I bless you. Now I set down a rule or principle. I install something into your spirit, my son. No Canaanite woman for you. No Hittite woman for, for you. You know the word sawah indicates the installation of an alarm. You know, if you, if, you, if you go into a precinct that is alarmed, like your home when you leave, your, you arm the house, if an intruder breaks in, what happens? Woo, woo, woo. What Isaac was saying to Jacob, Jacob, if you, if you think Hittite, may in your spirit something go woo, woo. May alarm bells suddenly go on if you even entertain the thought of choosing one of the Canaanite women as your wife. Right? So tell your neighbor, may those alarm bells go off for you too. Right? It's, like, um, it's like a warning system that God triggers within your spirit if ever sons of God contemplate the choice of a wrong partner, may the Holy Ghost make you feel so uncomfortable. This is my blessing on you. May the Holy Ghost feel... <laughs> Make, make you feel so uncomfortable that you say, wow, I, I, I must watch myself here because I'm about to cross a boundary where it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit if I choose the wrong partner. Okay? So if you're sitting next to a male, tell them, unfortunately, no Hittites for you. Verse 8 and 9 or 28 says this. Verse 8 and 9. Genesis 28, verse 8 and 9. Esau realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father. Yes, the other son. Right? Esau realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father, Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and he married Maha. La, la. Even the name is a problem. And the sister of Neboth and the daughter of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, in addition to the wives that he already had. Okay? Look at verse 7. The previous verse, 7. Jacob obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padam Aram. Isaac commands Jacob and Jacob O. Bays. The other son, he realizes how displeasing the Hittite women were to his father, and because they were displeasing, he goes to marry them. He violates the alarm. You know what Esau is described as in the book of Hebrews? He calls him a fornicator, a man given over to sensual indulgence. Right? Fornicator is one, by definition, would engage in sexual activity before marriage. The Bible says he lost his birthright. This was his constant problem, being governed by his flesh. Now how can you, you've just heard the command of your father 
don't marry Hittite women. And when you see that Hittite women displease your father, you go in and you marry them. In total violation of the honor principle in reference to your father. That's why in Scripture, you never ever read the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. You always read the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. Jacob made a critical decision as to the choice of a life partner, well, he had two, <laughs> through his own issues. Okay. Who was Jacob's wives? Rachel and? Rachel and Leah. Okay. And you know what? There's a lovely verse in the book of Ruth. When Ruth married Boaz, a prophecy went out concerning her. The prophecy to Ruth was this, or to, to, to Naomi, concerning Ruth, was this. May Ruth, the woman that's coming to you, be like Rachel and Leah, it says, who built the house of Israel. Two women, Jacob's wives, Scripture says, who built the house of Israel. So when Jacob, yes, through his own misdemeanors, got two wives, right? Remember he worked seven years for the one, his father-in-law deceived him, he got worked seven years for the other. But the point is, it all worked in for the... I'm not advising anybody here, please, to marry two wives. Don't hear what I'm not saying. All, right? all I'm saying is, the caliber of these women, the Scripture says, they were builders of houses. They were the builders of the house of Israel, through which divine purpose could be achieved. They gave birth, together with their concubines, to the structure of the nation in 12 sons, through whom the Messiah would eventually... Come. So your, your, your wife has got to be a builder of purpose. A builder of purpose. You know, we, we do extensive marriage counseling. And one of the requirements for a good husband, he must have a revelation of how Christ loves the church. Because if he doesn't have a revelation of how Christ loves the church, he will never be able to love his wife in an acceptable manner. Husbands, love your wives how? as Christ loves the church. So a husband can never ever love his wife until he has a revelation of how Christ loves the church. It should be every man's, every husband's, every potential husband's objective, clearly, to have a revelation of the love of Christ for his church. Because that is the standard by which you are judged and measured in respect to how you will love your wife adequately. Okay, that's, by the way, one of the questions I will ask the young man that is going to be interested in my daughter. Firstly, can I see your bank account? Three months, or six months. Six months bank account statement. Second question, do you have a revelation of how Christ loves the church? Because if you don't have a revelation of how Christ loves the church, you will never love my daughter adequately. Right? Christ is the standard. Christ is the benchmark. Now, I want you to just put your pads away, your notes, etc. Because of time, I don't want to take any longer in terms of speaking, but I want to impart something by the Spirit to all of you. We've said much tonight, and some of you might have heard some of these things for the first time, because rarely are these issues spoken of in church. You are young. Set the principle in your life early. Set it forcefully. Set it as a principle that, by which you will chart the rest of your life forward. Don't renege on these things. 
because you're going to save yourself a whole lot of potential heartache and trouble in your future. Safeguard yourself by heeding the word of the Lord. I charge you, I command you as Isaac commanded Jacob. I lay the law as a principle down in your spirit that you will select by the Holy Spirit's leading a life partner that is so compatible with you which the two of you together, because they love God, can facilitate the purposes of God in the earth today. Let your marriage in the future, let your, court, your, your courtship and your marriage be representational of all that befits Christ and His church. Let it just not be a normal courtship. Let it just not be a normal marriage. Who loves the book of Ruth? Who was Ruth's husband? Boaz, not broke as? Boaz, right? Boaz, right? Boaz, the fan, only four chapters, eh? But riveting love story. I like good love stories. Bible is full of them. Song of Solomon. You can have, now tell your neighbor, God wants you to have a good love story. Pleasing love story. Something worthy of, worthy of the books. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Okay? Do you know that their marriage produced a son called Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of David, Israel's greatest king, and the line of the Messiah would come forth from David's line. So when you read that domestic love story in a little dwelling in the house of, of, in a household in, in Bethlehem of Judah, God had long-term issues in mind by bringing these two together. And I'm saying to you, tonight, young people, say to yourself, I want my, 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 my partner, my, my courtship, my marriage to be of the pedigree of such that we don't just come together because we feel this chemistry, we love each other, all of that is good, it will all be there. But you must resolve and you say, God, I want the kind of partner by which together the two of us could facilitate in some way some significant aspect of your purpose in the whole earth. If you subscribe to that, God will give you the desires of your heart. You get married, I always tell people, you get married on whatever level you want. But if you want your marriage to be purposeful, significantly used by God to, to facilitate His purposes in the earth, then I want to encourage you, make that your priority and God will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Now, stay seated, but just lift up your hands. Can we sing that song, I Know, Lord, I Surrender? I Know, Lord. Um, if the music team can help us, you can sing with us. I want to encourage you, as I prayed this afternoon, I said to the Lord, Father, there will be a host of young people gathered here. And let this... Let this not just be another talk on dating and courtship and the imperatives thereof. Let it be impartational. I want, I want all of you to be very serious now because this is a time of impartation. Don't talk to the person next to you at all. Just focus on the Lord. Just focus on the Lord. We're going to take our will. 
We say, Lord, we submit our will to, to your will. We are saying to God, I'm a young person or I'm a young adult. I don't want to make a mess of selecting the wrong man or the wrong woman one day. God help me. Everyone say, God help us. That's our prayer. We want to bring this issue, and let me just say this to you. According to your faith, we're going to bring this issue to the Lord tonight. And I want to pray a prayer on behalf of you all and say, God, let there not be a relational failure in this group present tonight. Let there not be inaccurate choices of relationships, uh, inaccurate marriages one day. This group will have the quality of marriages that are at the center of your will, and that not just that, but that you use every single one significantly for your purposes in the earth today. If that is your heart, then just in your heart say, yes, Lord, I want that for myself. I want that for myself. And don't give up on it. Maybe because your parents have a, had a divorce. Don't give up on it. For things, things for you can be very different. By the grace of God, I tell you by the Spirit of the Lord, things for you can be very different. You can have a blessed relationship and a blessed marriage. One day that could be powerfully used by the Lord for His purposes.